Hello and welcome to UC Today. My name's David Dungay. We are back for another big UC news show. I welcome to everyone joining me today. I hope you're all well. How are you, Dave? Blair and Evan. Good, thank you. Thanks Let's go around the room. We've got, we've got Evan Kerstell, we've got Blair Pleasant, and we've got Zeus Caravella. Welcome, everyone. Uh, we've got some fantastic uh, news to share with everyone today. Um, let's jump straight into that first news story. We're going to be talking about uh, Cisco and uh, Cisco WebEx and uh, what's going on over there. Uh, in the latest piece of news, we've seen another round, a round of layoffs uh, hit the news wires. Uh, this comes off the back of some layoffs we saw at the end of last year. Uh, and then another round in January this, just this year. Uh, and that follows... Um, a bit of a downturn in, in revenue in terms of their collaboration units, although overall revenues of Cisco have been fairly positive. Um, I mean, the question mark here to me is um, what can we make of these, this latest round of layoffs? And, um, you know, is Cisco approaching the UC market? And especially when it comes to the bundling of those products, are they doing that in the right way? Uh, what, what does everyone think? Should we start with Zeus? What, what are your thoughts on this latest round of layoffs? Yeah, I you know I I think the term uh, layoffs a little uh, incorrect here. Uh, it, while there were layoffs within certain groups, uh, Chuck Robbins, our CEO, talked with us in the last earnings call. They are doing a reallocation of headcount and putting jobs in different places based on where they see growth. And so I you know if you look at they've been staffing up quite a bit in the areas of security and networking, where particularly in security where I think everybody at Cisco looks at security as a big needle-moving opportunity. They're a minority share player there. Uh, it's a massive market that's highly fragmented. And so if they can execute on that right, they, um, you know, there's a lot of upside. Where And now, obviously, if you're going to keep headcount relatively flat, Chuck did say it's possible that you could see a, a slight net increase. But if you're going to staff up one area, that means you have to reduce headcount in another area. And collaboration is one of those areas where they've reduced the headcount. And when I talked to, to G2 about that, uh, who runs security and collaboration, he said, look, they've they've done a lot of the work. Uh, when he joined, he, he's very clear that WebEx was behind in a lot of areas. So they staffed up, they retooled the product, they did a lot of development work, you know, they, 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 re, they redid the back end. And now that a lot of that work's done and it comes down to execution, they've obviously changed their strategy a lot over the last couple of years as well. They, they're they trying to use Microsoft as a tailwind versus trying to take the whole pie there. And so with the change in strategy and, um, and, I, and I think with a lot of the heavy lifting being done, they can reduce the headcount on WebEx and increase it in other areas. Um, if you look at the, you know, the overall net revenue for Collab was down and they talk about that every quarter where there's a net decline in a lot of the old hardware business and uh, a lot of the on-prem and then there's this increase in webex i don't think we've seen the bottom of that yet though i'm not sure when that comes uh but um you know clearly they're they're transitioning that business and that, that's created this net downward downward effect but um i i think the you know and and then we are at their fiscal year end right and so they do they generally do a headcount rationalization at fiscal year end because they always buy companies every quarter they get a lot of redundant people and then when july august rolls around and the new fiscal year starts they correct that headcount and so this is typically very seasonal but this year they had the added um uh, the added change of corporate structure where they're trying to beef up other areas so it's a it's a good time to be a security expert 
Yeah, frankly, I this is something all big companies should be doing. They should always be looking at their headcount and making sure they have the right people in the right areas to take advantage of growth opportunities, right? If if you're not doing that, that that's ultimately what gets companies in trouble where they've got too many people staffed up in areas that aren't growing and uh and they don't have the right people in the right areas and then they, you know, they suffer long term for it. So, I, you know, I I think this should be the reallocation to headcount should be something that's standard practice of large companies. So let's move on to our second news story of the day, uh, and that is following on from Microsoft Inspire. Uh, we were all waiting for this event uh, just a few weeks ago uh, to, to really hear what was going to happen around uh, Microsoft's latest product, Copilot. Um, they did announce a few features um, around the Copilot and some of its capabilities around Teams phone and chat uh, with um, summarizations um, and incorporating email summarizations as well into those. So really, really exciting stuff from, from Microsoft here. But the big talking point was the price, um, 30 bucks a month, which uh, in the grand scheme of things might not sound like a lot, but when you compare it against business standard, which is coming in around 1250, uh, a month it is quite the price jump so what do our, what do our panel think here let's go to Blair first Blair what are your thoughts I think it's pretty expensive <laughs> you know but it's also a new technology you know new product and you know we see this all the time prices start high you know they, they have to pay a lot for um, you know the the chips and you know some things that are you know relatively new so the pricing is going to be starting off high so I, I think we're going to see the typical thing where uh things start a little high and then prices are going to drop down but for now i think with that you know uh thirty dollar uh price it's, it's going to be pretty limited as far as you know the number of customers that are really going to you know jump in you know i i definitely see price decreases down the pike but for, for now i i think uh the number of customers who can jump in it, it's going to be large enterprises. I mean, it's great technology, and I think a lot of companies are really going to be clamoring for it. But that's going to be, you know, the large enterprises that can afford it for, you know, a, a small portion portion of their workers. But SMBs, I think they're going to be priced out for quite a while. Yeah, and I think I think when it comes to SMBs, I mean, I'm a small business owner myself, and I already use a dozen different generative AI tools. Some of which are freemium, others, you know, even OpenAI is 20 bucks a month, uh, sort of all you can eat. And so, you know, we have access to quite a few tools already. It's really that global 2000, as Blair said, enterprise that, that can't just, you know, use freemium tools off the shelf and kind of play with, uh, you know, existing apps uh, so easily. So they're going to be really tied to a small number of providers like Microsoft. So what, what do you think this? Well, it is expensive and it really comes down to, can they demonstrate enough value from it that it, it's something that people have to have? I, I do think we all, you know, Microsoft, not that they've reached that, uh, they hate the M word, but that near monopoly like status, you know, as far as teams goes with, you know, relative to office share. Um, I, I do think you might start seeing them have prices creep up in other areas too to, to capitalize on that. They've got customers somewhat locked into it. And so um, this is the time to to see what customers are willing to pay. If they don't get enough pushback or if they get a lot of pushback, like you mentioned, Blair, you may see them take prices down. But this all comes down to if it saves your knowledge worker a couple of hours, you know, three, four, five hours a week, 
then 30 bucks a month really isn't all that much when you think about you know how much people get paid and how much more productivity you could have if there's a lot of heavy lifting and things aren't well integrated and it just you know it and uh, uh like, like with a lot of microsoft tools there's a lot of user frustration then you're likely not to see the uptake and so this comes this really comes down to the potentials there um yeah. but I, I think it's got to deliver a lot of the promise and let's face it with microsoft not a lot of their early release stuff really hasn't done that but I, I think with Copilot, we're going to see a big learning curve, you know, just figuring out how to use it yeah. and how to really benefit from it. So, yeah, it, it might be able to save a lot of time, but it's going to take people a, a long time just to figure out, you know, because some of its capabilities, you know, how can you really use it? So, yeah, it can do summaries and, you know, things like that. But going beyond that, where are the real use cases? And it's going to take a while for people to really identify how they can use it, you know, to make them more productive and efficient. Yeah, you could argue that all this, it's interesting, all these, Evan, you mentioned all those tools you use. Are we more efficient today or are we just using more tools? And, you know, I because while Teams was supposed to create a reduction in email, people send you Teams messages and then they send you emails. And so it's like you've got twice as many messages now coming in. And I, I do think, Blair, to your point, there has to be some kind of almost rethink of how people work and understanding of what tools to use when because it seems like all we've done is throw more and more tools at the user and let the user try and figure out how to use it and then when you couple that with the big price tag that's when you get a lot of pushback right and and i think initially there's also going to be kind of a, a lack of i don't know if trust is the right word but so, so let's say um, Copilot is doing a meeting summarization. Well, I want to check it and make sure that it summarized the right things and it didn't miss out on important things. So it's going to be, you know, using the Copilot and then checking checking it. So that's going to actually take more time. So I think until we really feel comfortable with, you know, yes, it's doing a good job and it's doing the things I need, it's actually going to take more time on the part of the workers because um, it's going to be, you know, human in the loop, you know, you know, in addition. So. It's going to take some time until we're really comfortable using this type of technology and getting the value from it. I just want to know, am I ever going to have to write a PowerPoint, create a PowerPoint presentation again? Can, can we finally put the stake in uh, the, the PowerPoint design? And It's a good point Blair brought up. I was actually at AWS's AI Summit yesterday, and uh, um, they announced a product called HealthScribe, which is a health transcription service. And I asked Matt Wood, the person presented the analyst, like, is this something that actually is going to take the human out of the loop because there's so much industry lingo in healthcare, not only at a healthcare level, but also a lot of times within the individual facility. And he said, you know, clearly it's not going to know everything about every organization. So you still have to have a person check the information. So from that standpoint, have you really like gained anything? And I suppose years and years from now, we might trust the systems enough to not exactly. check things. But initial, their initial use case of it actually will have the documents and things actually attached to the transcription so you can read it and then go, you know, manually check it yourself. But to me, that's solving, I guess it's a step along the way, but ultimately that does create a lot of heavy lifting that perhaps wasn't even there before if you just used a transcription service, right? Yeah. I think the other interesting thing around this is um, data and security of that data as well. Uh, I, I'm hearing this come up more and more at the moment in this AI world we're living in. Uh, I wonder, are you, uh, either of you three, coming across people um, with their concerns around their, the data, 
the privacy of their their data when it comes to using tools like Copilot. Are you, are you coming across that? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, most institutions now are not allowing free use and access to ChatGPT and other tools, and uh, <laughs> in, including blocking you know the firewall when employees want to want to try to use it in the office because of data protection and uh, you know potential leak of of data to these tools. So particularly in regulated industries, it's, it's, it's a huge problem. What they want is they want uh, generative AI tools based on their data, you know, so like the Bloomberg GPT, not chat GPT. So I, I think this is, you know, an interesting development for enterprise, but you know, what's next is, you know, a, a more secure, reliable source of truth versus uh, a, a generalized large language model. Yeah, what you need is a curated data set. And I've used that analogy with Bloomberg before, where if I want to know the weather or if the Red Sox won last night or whatever, I can ask Google, right? And, uh, you know, go to that. But if I'm going to look for some kind of legal precedent as a lawyer, I'm not using Google, I'm using LexisNexis, right? If I'm a financial you know, person, I'm going to use Bloomberg or Dow Jones, not Google, right? And so similarly, workers just can't rely on chat GPT and believe it's the, you know, it's, it's, it's the source of truth that that curated data set becomes important. But then from, you're right from a company perspective, how much of your sensitive data do you put in there? Do you trust it? Where is it stored? Is it localized? Right. Things like that. And so there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of moving parts here that I think a lot of organizations haven't even begun to think of before we can take this type of technology and actually apply it to our corporate data. Never mind just all the different sources of data there are. Like in, in our space, you think of the term customer experience, right? There's contact center, there's CRM, there's web analytic tools, there's, you know, the, you know there's purchase intent. There's all kinds of data that's really not tied together very well. And so if we start applying these AI tools to a limited data set, we're only gonna get limited insights. You know, one of my favorite topics, um, especially when it comes to UC, is uh, user training and adoption. And for a while, things were kind of quiet on that end. But I, I think it's time to really revisit that because I think with all this, you know, generative AI, chat GPT, workers really need to be trained on how to use these technologies appropriately, safely, so that you know, they're not bringing in unauthorized things in the workplace, you know, they're not using public um, chat GPT and, you know, sharing in information that they shouldn't. Um, so I think it's gonna be really important that companies kind of do, you know, a, a lot of education and training with users, you know, how to use these tools and technologies, what to ask, what not to ask, you know, what's okay, you know, in your private life, but you know, not okay on your work computer. So I think we're going to be seeing a lot of stories in the headlines about, um, you know, things that went wrong for quite a while until companies really figure out how to get a handle on all this. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Shall we move on to our final news story of the day? And that is uh, Ring Central. Ring Central is, uh, they announced earlier uh, this week that they are doubling their headcount in India. They've recently just been uh, granted their carrier license in the region and uh, they're really going big in, in, in India, which is great to see. Um, India, of course, a very young but fast growing economy as well, a very large population. Um, what do our panel think of this? Um, should we go to uh, 
uh, Evan uh, first. What, what do you think of this story, Evan? And um, you know, this this part of the world being maybe a new mecca for UC vendors. Yeah, it's uh, a really bright spot for Ring Central. I'm reading here on UC Today. They've du- they're doubling their headcount from 200 to 400 over the next year, which in our space is is a big number. So uh, traditionally, India has had a pretty tightly regulated environment around uh, calling and collaboration within India, and this this really opens them up to be the the really fully compliant cloud phone services across the country and globally, you know, within the Department of uh, Telecom in India, which is is a is a big move. I mean, traditionally you've had lots of PBXs and legacy communication systems, so this is a a leap in the right direction. And um, yeah, India's uh, economy is on fire. They, they've got an amazing talent pool and uh, tr- tons of energy in the you know innovation economy. And this is only going to kind of ride on on top of of that that wave. Um, so yeah, su- super exciting. And uh, it's, it kind of ties into Ring Central's financial growth ex- plans, which you know are you know biggest and brightest outside of the U.S. So I think that's where they're looking for for growth and opportunity. I, I was actually a little surprised when I saw this, just because India is so tightly regulated, and so much of the telecom business flows through companies like Reliant and, and Tata. I would have thought that if Ring were to get in. It would be through some wholesale agreement with, you know, with one of those companies. And so, you know, we could imagine like Tata Cloud Office or something like that. But they're they're coming in with the ring brand. And um, that perhaps even signals a bit of a shift in, you know, in the way India looks at doing business instead of forcing everyone to run through one of a handful of very well-known tech companies in India, open it up a little more and create some some better innovation. And so this is certainly a feather in the cap for ring. I mean, you said it, it's a massive, massive country with a huge opportunity. Ring does very well with small and mid-sized businesses, which is what India is filled with. And, um, they, um, you know, and for them to be able to come in without having for them to get regulatory approval to sell there. I mean, that, that must take a tremendous amount of heavy lifting. So congratulations to that team there. Yeah, of course, I have to agree with that. And, um, you know, it's great that they're the first. Of course, they're not going to be the only one. Um, you know, I, I read something recently, you know, Microsoft Teams phone um, is soon going to be available in India. Um, but that is, uh, to Zia's your point, that is based on working with um, partners and local operators. So the fact that Zoom is going in directly without doing, you know, this handoff type of thing or partnership is, you know, really great. Um, I also read, you know, Vonage is going to be doing something. Uh, Vonage is opening an um, R&D center of excellence in India. So I would ex- expect to see, you know, Vonage trying to do similar things. You know, it might take a bit longer, but, um, you know, certainly Ring Central is the first, but not the last to be doing this type of thing. But it's it's great the way it is opening things up and, you um, Hopefully, maybe an analyst conference in India for some of us soon. Yeah, first mover advantage is big, though. Yes, totally agree. Absolutely, and I can I can concur that actually that tallies with our audience uh, growth rate as well. You know, India is uh, one of the fastest growing segments of our audience, so there's clearly appetite, um, you know, for 
uh, this these kind of moves to uh, to to happen ongoing. So, um, look, I think that's a, a really fantastic place to end today's discussion. I'd like to say thank you to Evan, Blair, and Zias. Um, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your insights as always. Thank you. And thank you for thank watching. You. You've been watching me, David Dungate, on UC Today. See you next time.